Hi folks, Todd here. Before today's episode, I wanted to pop a little spoiler warning in here. Percy and I went into more detail than we initially expected so we could accurately talk about Wolf Crush by Hagen Bryce Walker and The Interrobangers by M. Sloth Levine. If you're looking forward to reading these plays, please pause the podcast and go read them. We'll be here when you get back. Otherwise, listen on. Hello and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. I'm Todd and I'm here today with Percy. Hello. And we're going to be discussing two plays that we think fall into the kids on bike genre. They are The Interrobangers by M. Sloth Levine and Wolf Crush by Hagen Bryce Walker. Uh, We thought we would kick it off by just telling you a little bit about these plays. So Wolf Crush by Hagen Bryce Walker tells the story of a small town that is being attacked by some kind of horrible beast in the woods. Um, And it explores the interactions of four teenagers at the local school who are, you know, falling in and out of love, interacting with each other, learning about each other, and all all the while sort of like investigating the threat of uh, of this werewolf monster in the woods and the interrobangers um follows a group of kids that might look pretty familiar to you um if you've ever seen scooby-doo or the young adventures of scooby-doo that show as well but it follows uh four kids and a dog as they reunite and try to figure out just what's going on in the woods outside of their weird upstate new york uh little village Yeah. So we wanted to start by talking a little bit about how these plays interact with the elements of the kids on bike genre that we talked about a little bit a couple of weeks ago, Um, beginning with uh, with the kids. So in the Interrobangers, you see um, both uh, the the gang, we'll call them in honor of the fact that like they map pretty cleanly onto Scooby-Doo archetypes, both at 12 years old investigating, you know, the local like guy who was dressed up in a in a mask and and you know meddling and doing terrible crimes and you also see them reunite at 18 in their senior year of high school um so you get that sort of like perspective on how they've changed how they've evolved um while still sort of being like somewhat restricted to their small town and somewhat like kind of bound by like the limitations that like children and teenagers have on their on their lives and then in Wolf Crush, uh, you see four teenagers, four high schoolers who are sort of um, seem honestly pretty free to do whatever they want. But there is this sort of looming outside threat, this looming sort of danger of the of the wolf in the woods um, and also sort of just like the social dangers and the complicated sort of nature of their relationships with each other. Uh, in place of bikes, uh, we see uh, in the Interrobangers, they have a van um, <laughs> uh, that uh, one of the one of the characters has sort of customized that is their sort of mystery machine, you could say. Um, it's very groovy. It's extremely um, groovy. Which is very nice. And ends up being named the Interrobanger, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was a nice touch. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I will acknowledge that in these plays that we do think our kids on bikes plays, um, no bikes, uh, no bikes, no bikes but like kids, like the spirit of bikes. Um, yes. Uh, in terms of like 
monsters. You have uh, the werewolf and wolf crush. And then the sort of like mystery at play in the Interrobangers is both this kind of question of like aliens and like otherworldly forces, as well as the the Foggy Bluffs monster, which is sort of like the notable, famous, infamous question mark cryptid of their town, sort of like the thing that their town is really well known for. Yeah, could be a ghost of a colonist, could be a weird creature in the woods with wings on its back, maybe question mark, could be some aliens, could be all three. Yeah, yeah. And the monsters really explicitly, I think, play in in the Interrobangers and and in Wolf Crush because in the Interrobangers, I think you could I think it's fair to call him the protagonist, Zodiac, mm. um, uh, was, was abducted by by these aliens and went away for a long time. And the sort of occasion that like begins the play is him coming back to that small town and, and going back to high school there and sort of getting getting the gang back together, as it were. Um but a lot of the play is sort of exploring, you know, what impact did this have on him? Um, how do you solve this mystery that is so like foundational to his life? Um, that of course, like nobody believes his story. And then in in Wolf Crush, you know, um, well, there's the new kid in town. Yeah, you have the you have the that new we kid might in town view as and... like the powered character. Mm-hmm. If we want to map the kids on bikes uh, vibe onto this more. Yeah, I think Junis is definitely like a powered character sort of trope. Like she's very much like take no shit, like I'm going to do what I'm going to do um, sort of energy. This is maybe a tiny bit of a spoiler, but I also don't think we can talk about this play without just saying explicitly like it turns out that two of the characters, two of the teenagers are werewolves. Um, like the werewolves were the friends we made along the way. Um <laughs> Well, and I think what was really exciting for me was the the werewolves themselves being unknown to each other. Yes. Um, like, this isn't a, someone turns someone else into a werewolf sort of vibe. It's like two of the, a werewolf has been here, a werewolf has moved here, and turf lines are drawn a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um but I think the second reveal of there being two wolves is something that's very exciting. Like, I think that both of these plays inhabit this really cool, as someone who, you know, both of us have screamed to put more ghosts in your plays, you cowards. Um, and the, these plays both do that and were written before we started yelling at people about that. Um, so kudos to uh, both Sloth and Hagen Bryce for doing that. But like, both of these plays are very much my shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I oh, know that yeah. you had sent me Wolf Crush forever ago and you were like, this is your shit. You should read it. Um, other people also reached out to me when they had discovered this play and they were like, Todd, this is a you play. Um, and the Interrobangers, um, I had been looking for like weird Halloween plays sort of vibes Um, and Sloth's play was put on my radar and I was really glad to get to read it for this episode um, because I think it's a really fascinating piece that explores both like genre and in fun ways Um, I think often people are afraid of doing plays like this because you feel like you have to do so much explaining and I think but I think both of these plays do something interesting and I'm sorry, we're getting off track. But both of these plays do something interesting in that they like rely on tropes that we know about. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to do a lot of the explaining and the world building that I think a lot of more fantastic plays do. Mm-hmm. Um, like 
in the opening of the Interrobangers, um, we hear the gang as they're like getting ready to do the trap and like lights come up on someone in a spooky outfit suspended, I think, upside down by their foot, maybe um, after being put through some like elaborate trap that I'm sure involved a washing machine being used as a weight um, mm-hmm. for a thing, which is great. Um, and we like immediately know that we're in Scooby-Doo and that's lovely. And in Wolf Crush, while the town reacts like many werewolf movies do, where they're like, we have no idea what could be mauling all of these people in the woods. Um, we, the audience who know these tropes, are like, there's a fucking werewolf here. Um, and so the play doesn't need to spend a lot of time being like, werewolves are real. It's just like, yeah, we're in this genre. That's cool. Yeah. And also, I think both of these, like, I think that's the brilliance of the kids on bike genre, because I think it is it's what it's doing is making the familiar feel a little bit unfamiliar, but that also mm-hmm. is predicated on like this being something really familiar and accessible to us inherently. And I think it helps that both of these plays are telling a story that is like separate from like the monsters and the spooks and the ghosts and all of these things. Like I think um, I will talk about this a little more later, but I think both plays are like very much using that to tell a specific kind of story um, such that like I'm so invested in what that story is like what's going on between these four teenagers what's going on what relationships are forming what discoveries about oneself are being made all of these things that like I my energy is being spent on that not on like "Mm, is this monster real like "Mm, tell me more about the monster (laughs) like all of these things Um, But I also think the way that these plays engage with like authority figures is is different. They're very different from each other and they're really interesting. Um, In Wolf Crush, the like adult characters are ridiculous, like objectively just like bizarre, (laughs) Um, (laughs) absolutely bizarre um, people. Um, And if I remember correctly, they're all played by one person, which I think is like helpful in terms of like you know, this is like the face, you know, the authority figure who, Mm. um, you know, is blustery and weird and aggressive and like absolutely not to be taken seriously and stands kind of in sharp contrast to the kids or the teenagers who are like, feel very real and very like less exaggerated. It feels a little like, um, spring awakening too, where like all of the adults are just the two like yeah. all dads are the same dad even mm-hmm. though they're different characters and like all moms are the same mom um in that play because to the teens all authority figures are the same yeah and i think that that's a really useful uh lens um that the play is employing to like show you where your focus is mm-hmm. um, which i think is nifty Yeah. Yeah. And then in the Intero bangers, you see kind of these like different levels of authority. Um, And I think there is a lot of question about like what beyond age makes someone an authority figure, like what, yeah, like what's going, like what's going on there. Um, And I think the play is also really explicitly engaging with questions of like law enforcement and like the state and all of these things in a way that I think is really interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. And that it is also kind of a hallmark of like the kids on bike genre in terms of like questioning what those, what those actually, what function they serve, what they're actually doing, what they are attempting to preserve all of these things. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I also like that in the Interrobangers, um, while we do have the police, um, who also Hank, um, who's very much Freddy, um, Hank's mom is the sheriff. Um, so that's like one level of authority, but also there's this mysterious figure, Mr. Doll, um, who like might be an alien or might be some weird CIA agent. Like it's never made explicit one way or the other seems to have authority over the police in a way that even the police don't agree with. And I can imagine a game of kids on bikes where you played as Tess, Hank's mom, Mm -hmm. um, and interacted with this weird figure that like also could pull rank on you mm-hmm. um, in ways that it's not like just the kids. It's also the adults are contending with something here. Yeah. Um, the last sort of element of genre that I wanted to talk a little bit about is like the stories that these are both telling, which I think will bridge us nicely um, beyond genre elements. But I think um, I think they're both engaging with the question of like a coming of age story in interesting ways. Um, the Interrobangers very much explores how things shift over time. Like, for example, what had been like a pizza place in the present day is now like a vegan diner. Um, you see sort of like the separation of a friend group and what happens when they come back together. Like there's a line from Zodiac that I think encapsulates this really well. He says, it's like everything is mostly the same, yet not at all. Like it's an oil painting and I remember a cartoon. And I really, really love that. And I think that that's engaging with the question of coming to of coming of age in a really interesting sort of inside out way, because um, it's so much less, I think, about like directly like the characters changing and more about like what they learn about how they have changed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wolf Crush feels much more to me like a, a queer but traditional um, like sexual coming of age story like it is about the characters entering into new relationships for the first time about their spring awakenings as it were yeah um and there there's like a romantic and lusty aspect to it that while there is a little romance in the intero bangers that is also um like fun and queer it's very chaste mm-hmm. um whereas <laughs> there's like multiple sex scenes in wolf crash there's multiple sex scenes in wolf crash um some of which uh are also like fucked up yeah and it's not that the sex is fu- i mean the sex is fucked up but it's not because it's sex it's because it's like what the people are doing in addition to sex um no spoilers that, but like they yeah it's intense it's intense um <laughs> I remember uh reading the part with uh sorry, is it Junice? Uh yeah, like Junice, I think. Junice. Um the the scene with her and her exacto blade for the first time, and I was like, what in the world am I reading? Um so look forward to that, readers. Um but it's a really cool, weird play that I very much enjoyed. Um, well, and I think it's like, I I think what it's doing is like very much sort of subverting audience and like reader expectations of like what mm -hmm. a coming of age story is supposed to entail. And like, I think pushing really hard back against the sort of like chased and sanitized way. A lot of these stories are told in media because I think like that's a big part of coming of age, not Mm -hmm. necessarily, you know, like (laughs) fucking a werewolf in the woods, but you know, like, I think like. (laughs) like coming of age does have a lot to do with like sex and relationships. And I think like we don't see, we don't see that 
particularly I think a lot of queer stories are sanitized because of like reasons that are self-evident to me and that we won't necessarily like dig deep into but like I think it's really cool and exciting to see a play that is like unapologetically like this is gay um yeah (laughs) and this is what queer this is part of what queerness is yeah in some ways in thinking about like in this description of it it feels like if I hope this doesn't upset anyone or whatever or like belittle the play because i don't think that this is a bad thing but it's like a tragic american pie like american pie is like a messy coming of age story that is funny and this is a messy one that's not um in terms of like sex and sexuality yeah yeah i it is an extremely funny play but also yeah it's like it is a very funny play it's unsettling yeah i feel like the the moments of sexual intimacy um, are not all funny haha and Ooh, they are, are sometimes like oh geez um in ways that are i mean hagen bryce is doing something interesting there i think he's he's like tapping into um some ideas about queer shame and also some ideas about like body image and stuff like that um that are very interesting um there's a lot of funny things in this play it's just those are not those moments <laughs> correct (laughs) because because those aren't always funny yeah um yeah and i think and i think the thing that i think he's pushing back against is this expectation that like queer love and queer sex looks like what we see in you know film and tv and like that you know that it has to or this expectation that it always has to be perfect and idyllic when in reality like for various reasons that's not the case um Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, looking at the world building of these plays, um, there's definitely something in both Wolf Crush and the Interra Bangers about this like looming presence of the woods, both as a place that's like sort of in a fable sort of way where like the the law and order of the city or the town um, don't really exist here. Like things can be transgressed here, uh, which is often what you see in um, a lot of fable and folklore. Like the woods are places where weird things happen. And in these plays, that's true of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like we have both the woods um, in in the Interrobangers specifically, we have the fog that rolls in and out. Um, and then these monsters um, that are in the woods. And I think something that uh, Wolf Crush does, but in Terror Bangers doesn't really broach, um, is addressing or like comparing um, monstrous qualities to queerness. Yeah. Um, in ways that I think are interesting and not demonizing, but not pretty. Like, I think it taps into the phenomenon of, like, so many Disney villains are queer-coded, but also as a queer person, I identify most closely with a lot of them. Like, I think in a lot of queer communities or for a lot of queer people, there is, like, an embrace of otherness and monstrosity in, like, a subversive way. And I think that's kind of what Wolf Crush is doing in terms of just being, like, yeah, you know what? I am a werewolf. Fuck you. Like, (laughs) yeah. um, Well, and, like... I also found it very fascinating that Interrobangers doesn't. Like, Interrobangers is very queer, um, but the queerness 
isn't really related to the the weirdness except i guess um and i know there's a quote that you put in that luna has about this like interplay um between but the i felt like in in at no point are we are we led to believe that like whatever is in the woods and foggy bluffs it is not inherently queer nor is it making people queer or anything like that and like there is a specific queerness to the werewolves in wolf crash yeah i think it's the difference between like i think what Wolfcraft is, is doing is saying like there is a monstrosity inherent to queerness that you can't ignore and also that that's not a bad thing yeah necessarily and i think what Interrobangers is saying, which I think is like interesting, separate from that is, yeah, is as Luna says, like queerness is about understanding that these other things are real and queerness is sort of the way the way that you can access that and like the the reason that you might believe in otherworldly possibilities um, because queerness puts you into this kind of in-between space already. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'll read... A little bit of the quote because it's very long. Um, but they say, uh, I'm learning there's a an interplay between being queer and believing in magic and monsters, aliens, ghosts. And they talk about um, like their sort of in-between place in terms of gender and like how that sort of relates to belief in like the supernatural and the paranormal and all of these things. Um, yeah, which I think is which I think is different, but like equally interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cutting back to like the the way these w- plays are built and the the worlds within them are built, I liked in the Interrobangers they talk about the puppetry and stagecraft, um, specifically around Hoover or Hoove the dog, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was interesting. Sloth describes that like you could have a real dog that is trained, a professional dog, a, which a is professional a, very, dog. a very good phrase. <laughs> Um, you could have Hoove be a puppet of some sort. Um, and I have uh, Shannon, um, who you all will meet shortly in our uh, Oh Dang Bigfoot Stole My Car playthrough, has done these like large scale um, puppets that are very like I can imagine how Hoove could work in that situation and not in just this abstract like a puppet will fix that. Mm-hmm. Um but did this like really incredible um, both construction of a puppet and puppetry uh, at the Rose Theater um, with this show called Prancer about uh, a reindeer. And so like I can imagine how something like that could behoove and could work. Um, but also there's questions about like shadow puppetry and an idea that hoove is both like real and an idea at different points in the play. Um, and how you theatrically construct that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think a l- like I have so many questions about what the ideal version of Wolf Crush looks like. Yes. Um, because <laughs> some of the transformations happen on stage. Some of them don't. We see someone fully wolf mode, but do we see that transition fully on stage? Yeah. And then. Okay. We see it a couple of times. Um, And there's also just a lot of like very graphic moments of violence. Yes. Um, Like it is a gory play. And yeah, like I, I, this is a tangent um, that I'm going to unapologetically take us on, um, which is the, uh, the thing that occurred to me as I was reading Wolf Crush is that it feels a lot like a lyric game in terms of it's. Tell me more. 
Um, it feels like I don't want to wade necessarily into like what is a lyric game discourse, but I think sure. like this is a this is a play that does a lot of its work in your experience of reading it. Like I think um because like he plays a lot with different fonts and like there's like, mm-hmm. you know, the stage direct like the st- specifically the stage directions are like so integral to understanding the tone of the play and like the experience that the playwright wants you to have. And like a lot of them are, are moments that don't feel playable in like the specific, like there's no way that you're necessarily going to get exactly what he is communicating in that stage direction, unless you literally just like read what it says, you know, Mm -hmm. but I, but it's just like, it, it's interesting to me how evocative this play is on the page. And I think it would feel completely different if you were to watch it, not in like a bad way, but I think they're just like, it's interesting to me that relationship is, is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Yeah. 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 I want, I'm, I'm so sad that I haven't seen this play done. Um, I was want to do it. Cowards. <laughs> well, but some people have, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sad I haven't been in a place where I could see it because part of me wants to produce Wolf Crush and part of me is terrified of producing Wolf Crush. Which is I like yeah. don't know how to make it feel the way I think the play wants to feel. Like there's some really exciting stage moments here that I'm like, I just don't know how to do this personally in a way that feels satisfying, but I want it to feel satisfying if I'm going to do this. Yeah. It's so it's so fascinating. It's so complicated. And then I think which like stands very sharply in contrast to Sloth, who is just sort of like this is all constructed like this is this is Scooby Doo, this is Scooby Doo bullshit. And like and the and the fact that like they explicitly say in like the notes, like these should be different things. They should not be like one consistent thing. So you have these sort of like larger than life moments. But I feel like the play supports them in a way that is different than the way like Wolf Crush's moments feel like I think yeah I guess I guess mostly what it is is that yeah like in the Interrobanger Sloth is really explicit about like this is like this is how it should feel and this is like what you know this is how to do this thing um whereas I think in Wolf Crush like there is this sort of like I feel like it has to feel real mm-hmm. whereas like in the Interrobangers there is like because the first encounter that we have is the kids like unmasking you know uh uh you know, insert terrible white man here. Mm-hmm. Um, like the interplay of like what's real and what's constructed is sort of set up for us at the very beginning. And you're sort of able to be like, okay, like these are real threats. Um, but we're also in a world where like things can feel man-made or things don't have to be realistic. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be realistic to be real. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Um. And I think that's like most funly portrayed through Hoove. Yes. Um, like there's moments where as I was reading it, um, I I was going back and forth between like, would I have a puppet for this or would I want a real dog, a professional dog? Um for Sorry, this I just situation. Think the phrase professional dog is so funny. <laughs> it's great. There were moments where I could see like this one working better in this situation, that one working better in that situation. And like, who's running it, like who's puppeteering it was a question that I had a bunch. Um, like, are those members of the ensemble or is this a different puppeteer? Um, were things that I thought about, but at no point during wolf crush, did I have feelings about like, 
how realistic or how theatrical is this? Because I feel like it wants to be as real as possible. And I think that that's part of the spectacle of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Wolf Crush probably works less well if, you know, uh, Beecher, spoiler, um, turns into a werewolf by, like, donning a wolf, like, constructed wireframe sort of, like, armature mm-hmm. over his head. I don't think that that's as exciting as what we're looking for. And I think like somehow he must become a wolf um, in a way that is like visceral and not just theatrical. Um, yeah. And I think that that's exciting. I just don't know how to do it. And I want to know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, th- a thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently because um, one of my playwriting professors has been nagging me about writing stage directions without explaining how to do them. But I do think it like those two camps of playwriting fascinate me. The camp of like, I'm going to give you some hints about like what this should feel like and like how you might accomplish this versus like, this is what it is. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, I've, I've been there like in. So in Emily Dickinson, Paranormal Investigator, um, I describe characters as levitating. Sometimes I describe magic that happens on stage and like at the beginning of the play i have some notes on like i don't know you could do it like this way or this way or this way and i don't really care as long as it feels cool to you but like that's not what's important to me in the moment what's important is like she's flying Mm -hmm. whatever that means yeah like i have stage directions like the castle folds in half like a storybook and closes and then leaves you know leaves him on stage you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> My professor was like, how do you do that? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> I, but yeah, it's like, well, and I, and to sort of like bring us back to like the genre, I think, I think the kids on bike genre is so much about feeling, which is why I think Wolf Crush is a fascinating example because I think like all of the things that happen in the play are so visceral and driven by feeling and driven by like gut audience responses to what's happening that like yeah like that is the central thing is that it has to make you feel the way like reading the play on the page makes you feel Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's fascinating like yeah i don't remember how we got to where we are but here we are (laughs) (laughs) actually related to that um the big question that i had as we were reading as i was prepping for this episode i was reading both plays is like what are these plays each saying about the nature of monsters and the role of monsters in our world? And like, what are, what is different or similar about what they are saying about monsters? I mean, I think for me, as, as we were saying before, like Wolf Crush addresses um, the, the monstrous feeling that queer people have in their adolescence Um Guillermo del Toro uh, did this exhibition um, called "At Home with Monsters," and it was a he has like a collection of like monster movie stuff, but is also like a monster movie buff. Um, and I, f- if I'm remembering correctly, there's a quote at the beginning that's either his or it's someone else's. And if it's someone else's, I'll make sure that we put it in the show notes. So sorry, um, but he describes this feeling of um, not seeing yourself represented in media and feeling monstrous because of that. Mm -hmm. Like if you are not the 
the white, skinny, heterosexual hero in these movies, then you must be Swamp Thing, or you must be the Wolf Man, or you must be these other things. Um, and I feel like Wolf Crush like takes an idea like that as inspiration and weaponizes it. Yeah. Um, very much to your like, yeah, I'm a wolf. Fuck you. Exactly. Um, sort of feeling. Uh, and I think that that's a really fascinating place to be. Whereas like uh, in, in the quote that you read earlier from Luna in the Interrobangers, um, having uh, this like more expansive view of the world that allows for ghosts and werewolves and UFOs as being part of the queer experience as well, mm -hmm. um, I think is a very different like ethos. Yeah. Well, and I think both are, I think both are very queer in very different ways in terms mm -hmm. of like, I'm not going to attempt to quote it because I don't want to misquote her, but there's a like, there's a trans activist whose name is Kai Cheng Tom, who's like a fucking, she's fucking brilliant. She rules. Um, but she said something about, yeah, embracing monstrosity and finding power in that. And that is mm -hmm. like a deeply, a deeply queer and deeply like gendery thing. Um, but yeah, I'm also interested, yeah, in, in the Intero bangers and in the way where it's sort of like, what does queerness enable you to see? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the other thing that, um, specifically thinking about the way that the Interrobangers kind of interacts with Scooby-Doo is thinking about circling back a little bit to our last commentary episode, the role of nostalgia um, and what that is sort of doing, because I think a lot of what we talked about in our nostalgia episode, which you should listen to if you haven't, kind of comes into play here in terms of like, you see this friend group getting back together, you see this friend group sort of thinking back to like when they were younger and what their relationships with each other used to be and like who is a skeptic who still sort of believes in monsters and ghosts and all of these spooky things, you know, who really, really wants to get out, who really feels invested in the town. Like what is everybody's relationship to the past and how has that changed? Um, is something I think is really fascinating. Yeah. I think, <laughs> um, I mean, thinking back to another part of our episode about that, I feel like there's something I feel like Wolf Crush is, I hate my stupid fucking town. Um, and the Interrobangers is like, there's something cool here, though, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, in different ways. Um, I feel like there's probably a lack of nostalgia in Wolf Crush. Um, there isn't really a sentimentality to it. No, no. And I, th well, and I think like, I think the Interrobangers very, is very much about community and is very much about like, and I think it's a lot of the, where the queerness and the interbangers manifests too, aside like just in like, what are our relationships to each other and what do those relationships mean and how have they changed? And like, how do you, what happens when you find out who you can count on and who you can't, um, is interesting, I think. Um, but yeah, I think you're correct that Wolf Crush is, is not particularly sentimental, <laughs> uh, in its, in its affect, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think plays in the genre in general are really good at telling stories about like changing relationships to one's community and like how we as people experience change as we get older. Um, and the like argument that I would make that we've sort of been circling around for the for the whole episode is like I think the genre, like the kids on bikes genre is particularly good at telling queer stories 
in part because of the way queerness can be explored through notions of like reclaiming monstrosity or what your relation to monstrosity is. And because it like unlocks, I think, a lot of possibilities for exploring queer childhood. Um, Mm -hmm. Because like, I think we do have a like a dearth of stories about queer teenagers and queer kids Mm -hmm. um, for various reasons. And I think it's really the genre offers a really excellent way specifically to like tell stories about queer people and understand like what your relationship to queerness is as like a writer, as somebody who's like experiencing these stories. Yeah. A play that's like very similar to the vibes of both of these plays um, that I enjoy is uh, River Tim's um, Tall Tales, which we didn't want to discuss uh, explicitly or like focus on as much in this in this episode because it's not about kids um, but there is this aspect of like mid-20s coming home to your rural like small town vibe and something monstrous happening um, and that being specifically tied to queerness um, in Tall Tales uh, a character who has kind of like left college and is trying to figure out their life a little bit, moves home and reconnects with someone um, that they probably had feelings for when they were younger, but they were never really a thing. Um, and then this creature that seems to be like animated from the gossip in town Um starts like haunting not only them but the small town itself Mm -hmm. uh and it's a really exciting um and fascinating play that explores again like queer stories monstrous stories um and also this like small town uh vibe that we felt um in the nostalgia episode that this like kids on bikes genre really gelled with um telling these supernatural in small town yeah well and like it like this is why you should put more ghosts in your plays you cowards because like (laughs) it's such a it's such a good way to think about like how bigotry manifests or how um how queerness manifests or how you know what is the relation of like people in a town to the state to what are what are the forces at work like i think monsters are such an effective tool for like thinking about what we demonize and what we don't culturally. Um, so like put more monsters in your plays because also monsters are cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, I, I'm speaking with passion only because I like feel a lot of kinship with this genre for various reasons, but largely like I do think, I think there's a reason that we tell so many coming of age stories. And I think it's because like a lot of people have, have some kind of relationship to these kinds of stories. Like I think a lot of people can in some way relate to the experience of like being in your senior year of high school and realizing, Oh, I've grown apart from people that I used to really love. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many like rich depths that we all sort of have to like to explore through experiencing stories like these, particularly queer people. Mm -hmm. Well, so this is also like thinking about how you were talking about like using monsters to tell stories about society, um, which many of them are like very rarely is a werewolf film about 
turning into a wolf. Um, <laughs> that's not what they're actually about. Um, but it reminded me of this movie that I watched last year that fits into this genre, not in a queer way, um, but in a kids on bikes boring uh, way. I know. Well, it's called Vampires versus the Bronx. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen this. It's I a don't. delight. Um, but the vampires are gentrifiers. They're uh-huh. literally like trying to gentrify the Bronx. And um, sometimes this means they're like literally sucking the blood of the community to get people out of their way. And other times it's like, oh, no, there's a bougie new cafe where our bodega used to be. Mm. But using these vampires as a metaphor um, to tell stories about gentrification, I think, is like an interesting mode um, for us to go in. Um, Certainly not as much as I love telling queer ghost stories. Um, But I think that there's something very fascinating in using uh, monsters to tell stories about our society and where we are. Yeah, like I, in particular, because I think similar to the way the Interrobangers, like, does a lot of interesting things theatrically with how you represent those monsters on stage. Like, I think there is a lot of really exciting opportunity to sort of poke at, like, what is real and what is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it's not just the monsters that allow you to do that, but in this genre, I also think it's like the fact that the heroes are not law enforcement or, you know, agents of the state or, or what have you. Um, it's the kids, like it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's the, it's the underdogs. It's like in Wolf Crush, the authority figures are fucking useless. Um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, there's no, that like they're they're nothing they don't do anything um they actively get in the way um if if anything and i yeah like i think stories like that are appealing to people who feel like they have been some way been failed by like the criminal justice system or have been failed by law enforcement or don't feel like the systems that these monsters are threatening actually do anything for them or like account for them in the Mm -hmm. way that they function. So I do think also like these are really excellent ways to explore sort of broader like questions of who has agency and who has power and who, you know, who, who is the one who can actually make a change or defeat the monster or do, or do whatever. Yeah. Like I think, I think that's another reason they're a really good vehicle for telling stories because yeah, I certainly don't think that anybody is going to is going to take them at face value. I don't think anybody could watch Wolf Crush and be like, "Oh, uh, what a what a lovely <laughs> what a well <laughs> what a play about American werewolves." Exactly. What a what a play about werewolves and nothing else. Like I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think anyone is watching the Interrobangers and being like, "Hmm. Uh what a like I can't even think of what they would take away because it's so obviously about queerness and so obviously about queer community and so obviously about, you know, um, the relation between queerness and, and the supernatural. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. As we've said before, folks, put ghosts in your place, you goddamn cowards. <laughs> I'm a wolf. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel Dean. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DNDramaNerds. Check out cast bios on our website, DungeonsAndDramaNerds.com. And tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. Dungeons and Drama Nerds.